So tonight we're going to do something fun. Who wants to have fun tonight? Yeah? We're going to do something fun. A little while back, I, I gathered five people together, um, all, of course, who were already in the church here, who I recognize have a calling on their life, and, and we just pulled aside, and so I pulled out a scripture, and that is John 3.16, the most popular scripture in the Bible, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we took that and we divided that up into five topics. And I said, I want each of you to give us the best five minutes you can on the topic that you've been assigned. And they were all excited. And then I got excited because they were excited. And so what we're going to do here tonight, this is going to be fun. I want us to absolutely celebrate them and support them tonight. I want us to get in. I want us to pay real good attention. And I want us to be super encouraging. So here's what we're going to do. So up on the screen, you'll notice you've seen this slide before, but you see that little five-minute timer in the corner? So that's going to start counting down. So here's what's going to happen. I don't like long-winded preachers. Do you like long-winded preachers? No, nobody likes long-winded preachers. So here's what we're going to do. When that hits zero, 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 even if they're still talking, we're all going to start clapping. And that's going to let them know we love you, we appreciate you, sit down. Okay? And uh, then we're going to go on to the next one. Uh, but I do want to say this. If I can just let you know this, this is the truth. And I, I know the preachers in the room will agree with this. It is way harder to preach for five minutes than it is for 35 minutes. You probably think that doesn't make any sense. Oh, yes, it is. Because when you, because when you like to talk, you can fill the time. So they have put a lot of effort into this. And I am so excited to hear what God has given them for tonight. So can we give all five of our speakers a real good hand? Good evening. I want to take this opportunity to quickly thank our pastors for allowing us to have this opportunity. Um, don't take it lightly. God bless you both. So in surgery, we say that if the first case of the day it's not done on time. The whole day is off schedule. So there's a lot of pressure on my first, me going first tonight. John chapter 3, there's a conversation that is talked about. And the conversation is between Nicodemus, who is a ruler, he's a religious leader, and Jesus. During this conversation, it happened under... The cover of night because Nicodemus for whatever reason wanted to see Jesus after no one was watching could it be that he was embarrassed that he didn't have all the answers could it be that he would be judged for um, going to see another ruler when he himself was held in such high esteem and respected but whatever the reason was during this conversation Nicodemus, it was clear, did not have all the answers. Jesus acknowledged that Nicodemus was there to seek out teacher Jesus. Nicodemus said to Jesus that no man can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus wanted to tell Nicodemus what was really important that you came for one reason, but there's something else I need to tell you. In John 3 and 3, in the New Living Translation, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, 
Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus didn't understand that. He said, how can an old man be born again? And Jesus took time. In fact, three different ways in that chapter, he said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, and he's, he's emphasizing the truth. The King James Version says, verily, verily. He said the difference. He explained to Nicodemus the difference in being born of human parents and being born of the Spirit. Explaining the truth. Sometimes we need to hear it more than once. Sometimes we need to hear it in a different way. Sometimes we need to hear it in a song. Sometimes it's a sermon. Sometimes it's a testimony or a conversation. And during this conversation, Jesus had some powerful things to say to Nicodemus. How many of you have ever gone by where there's a big store sale and outside there's someone standing and they're wearing a sign and they're trying, I'm going to hide a minute, and they're trying to get your attention to say that what is advertised on that sign is what you need. What you're about to see here is what you need. Jesus is compelling Nicodemus. He is telling him that what I want to say to you is truth. What I'm going to say to you is powerful. Nicodemus is telling him, he's compelling him that for I tell you, in John 3.16, the first word of that scripture is for. Jesus is, he is getting his attention. He is declaring, he's being very intentional about what he wants to say. And he says, for, for you may be seeking, and this is, this is not in the scripture, but Jesus is recognizing that Nicodemus was seeking teacher Jesus. But what Nicodemus needed was Savior Jesus. And no matter if you are a ruler or a king or uh, a maintenance person or a nurse or, or any, any job, no matter what you are, no matter what title you hold, mother, father, sister, son, daughter, no matter what, we all need Savior Jesus. Yes, Jesus yeah. is telling him in this scripture, for... Powerful first word, powerful lesson for all of us, that no matter what we label ourselves or others label us, we all need a Savior. Better not be started yet. I'm going to pick up on the next part of the verse. God loves. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for giving me this platform. I will try to use it wisely. God loves. So we always like to talk about God's love and how he loves us. But before I go into that, let me start off by telling you what God's love is not. God's love is not what we deserve. It's not earned. It isn't owed. It isn't depending on only feelings. It isn't based off of an in-the-moment decision. 
isn't based on the things I've done or the ways that I've earned it because Lord knows if we got what we deserve, we'd all be in trouble right now. It isn't some vague promise that is lifted from the lyrics of a hymn. It isn't a covenant of hope that everything in your life is going to be perfect in the way that you dreamed it. That's not what God's love is. It isn't a key to riches or a road to fame. It isn't something that you can pick up at any given moment and put down when you're done with it. It's not just a noun. It's also an action. And it's not about me. So what is love? The world gives us this twisted version of love that that love is just based off your feelings. It's based off your emotions, how you feel in the moment. But 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and most of all, love never fails. So what does this have to do with God's love for us? Well, let me tell you. 1 John 4, 8 says, but anyone who does not know, that does not love, does not know God, for God is love. God is love. So with that being said, we can just do a copy and paste. We can cut out God and we can put him in the that verse that I read before, I can say, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not celebrate in our failures, but he rejoices in our overcomings. God never fails. So I like to think of love as a gift. I know we've heard that before. It's a gift given to us, given freely. I like to think of love as a physical gift, something you can hold, an object in your hand. He gives us this gift so we can then take this gift and we can we can turn around and use it for other people. I was talking to my wife this morning and it's kind of like a prism. The light comes down, it hits that prism, it reflects all around. We're made in his image, which means that we can show his love and we can be his love. And when we use his love in our daily lives, it strengthens our understanding. God gives us this gift not because we deserve it, but because he chooses to do so. Good job. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, you know what's God when somebody's all over your message, man. I love that. I've literally had the same scripture. Okay. I want to thank Pastor Chris for the opportunity to speak. And I want to talk about we learn what God's love is, but what does God love? What does God's love do? The first thing that God ever did with his love is give us life. Yes. He gave us life. The Bible says in Genesis 2-7, and God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In doing so, God imparted into us his own breath and his own spirit. We were literally a labor of love. Because God, John 4 and 8 says, and he that knoweth not God knoweth not love, for God is love. And I often thought, why did God create us and why do we have the ability to sin if God loves us so much? Because how could someone or something or a being that is love not want the real thing? See, Jordan Peterson, a Christian psychiatrist, once said, a man who is incapable of violence is not virtuous. He is just simply weak. But a man who is very capable of violence and chooses not to be is a virtuous man. Love works the same way. 
purity works the same way. God wanted us to choose him out of our obedience and out of our love for him. He wanted an intelligent, free-thinking being made in his image to have a conversation with. And because God can't have a conversation with sin, because he can't have a relationship with sin, the next thing he did with his love was give us Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. And in so doing, when we receive him, he allows us to have the relationship that we once had, the conversation that we lost in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that God came looking for Adam in the cool of the day. I believe that Adam and God walked and had conversations in the cool of the day. I love the scripture that says when uh, God brought the animals to Adam just to see what he would call them. That's someone who wants a relationship with you to actually see what Adam would call those animals. He wanted somebody that chose him out of love. And the type of relationship that God wants with us, he describes it in the parable of the ten virgins. See, because the type of relationship that God wants of us, I'm not going to say the parable of the ten virgins, I only got five minutes, but <laughs> I want to describe when he, when, when, when he gives that parable, it's, it's actually referencing a Galilean-style marriage, a Galilean-style relationship, because see, their culture, his disciples' culture, was a Galilean culture. And, and, and in that culture, what would happen is a bridegroom would approach his bride, the woman that he wanted to marry, and he would offer a cup of wine. And she had the choice to either receive or accept that cup of wine. Much like God gives us the choice to accept him or receive him as, as our Savior. If she accepted the cup of wine, the, the bridegroom would leave his bride for up to a year and build on to his father's house, a bride chamber. Now, the cool part about this is when the scripture that says, and I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would tell you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you unto me that where I am, you may be also. God wants to bring his bride home. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And, you know, for those, of who, for those of you that don't know, what's a relationship with God look like? It looks like prayer. It looks like reading the four Gospels. It looks like studying. But it also looks like allowing God to give you peace about your mistakes. Because, see, he came here to give you life and to have his conversation that he so sorely missed from the Garden of Eden. So he's offering his cup of wine to you. Receive it and let him be Lord of your life and be loved. Thank you. First off, I'd like to thank Pastor Chris for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And my time today was going to be centered around we believe. Belief is so vital to a Christian's life. It's what gets us started on this walk, and it's one of the things that helps navigate us through it. That's the bottom of my notes. I don't even know where I'm at. All right. 
One story in the Bible that I believe exemplifies this more than most is that of Abraham and Isaac. If you're unfamiliar with the story, I would like to uh, summarize it for you. Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice Isaac, the son he promised him, on a mountain on an altar. Before Abraham was able to kill Isaac, God provided them a ram caught by the horns in a bush. Now, I think Abraham shows some insane belief in this story. And I wish in this, in like similar instances to this, that I would have even a sliver of we even get to see the thought process behind his faith and belief in another story in the Bible, in Hebrews 11.9. And the New Living Translation, it says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac were to die, God was able to bring him back. That's for his belief. Now you may be wondering, so why is belief so important? Well, belief is important because if you want what God has for you, trust me, you do then you're going to have to have the belief to do whatever he asks you. And God always, always, always honors your belief without fail. Now, when the focus becomes, I have to believe, because belief is my only option, then there's one story that always comes to mind. And it's one I had to reach out and ask uh, some help remembering in. And it's one of real life, and it's one my grandfather and our founding pastor actually Now, years ago, when... Pastor John Boggs and his lovely wife, our church mother, Pastor Debbie Boggs, lost their third child to a stillbirth, Caleb. Pastor John said he truly didn't see how his life could move forward. He said it very easily could have been a belief-shattering moment for him. But they never gave up hope. They were able to conceive again. This child also had his fair share of health problems. But they didn't give up hope once again. They believed. They believed when belief was the hardest thing to come up. And I'm thankful that they did. Because if they hadn't, that baby may never have grown up to be the man we all know as Pastor Ethan Ricky Paul Ball. <laughs> he is a loving husband. He is a father to two wonderful children. He is a shepherd and he is a pastor to over 1,000 souls in Columbus, Mississippi. All of these people get to have this wonderful man of God in their life. Because another man of God and a woman of God simply chose to believe. Good evening. I am uh, I'm very honored and excited to be able to have this opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Chris, um, for letting us come up here and uh, speak to your, to your flock here. Um, so... I just kind of want to start out by going over our base scripture. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, um, a couple of years ago, whenever my youngest daughter, Adeline, was five years old, she loved to play this game. And uh, we'd be in the car, sitting at home, she'd look at me, raise her eyebrows, say, hey, Dad, I got a color in my head. And, you know, that's just a personal challenge to me. Like, you got you to gotta guess that color. So, you know, I go through the whole repertoire of, all the colors that a five-year-old should know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I'd say pink, probably one of the first ones. She'd no. And then after I say all the colors she would know, I say pink again. She said, yes, that, that, that's what it is, right? <laughs> so um, I want to talk about uh, in Esther, chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. Um, so before I actually read this, I want to kind of recap the story a little bit here, give you a little bit of background. So Esther was in the, in the kingdom of Susa, and the king um, had been 
throwing this huge party for like six months to celebrate himself. Um, and so he was around his advisors. They were all uh, drinking. And the king told his uh, wife, the queen, to come before him and adjust her crown. She said no, didn't want to do it. And so his uh, drinking buddies, advisors, um, decided to tell the king, hey, you should get rid of her because she disobeyed you. And he was like, okay, let's do it. Gave her the boot. And then, so, to come into play, they go across the whole land, try to find out um, who they want to replace the, the queen with. So Esther is in this pool of people uh, wanting, trying to get selected by the king, okay? It says, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned, assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants to the best place in the harem. And whenever I, whenever I was reading through that, I just couldn't help but like being like Adeline, like I've got a servant in my head. That a servant that, that steps beyond the bounds of normal, normal society, right? This servant is the one who washed the feet of his disciples. This servant is the one who healed the blind and called the lame to walk. Like, this, this, this servant, this servant is the most unique servant. It's unlike anybody we've ever seen before. And this servant's name is Jesus. This servant's name is Jesus. And so just like Esther, because she was given favor by the servants, the servants were from the king's palace. The servants knew the king's heart. The servant Jesus knows the heart of the Father, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And so Esther, because of the servants, was chosen by the king. Now, we get to the eternal life part. Like we have, we have, like the Bible says that we have eternity written in our hearts, that we have a heart for eternity. Now we get to live with the king. Now, today, now, not just, eternal life doesn't start once we die. Eternal life starts today. Eternal life starts in our faith right now. Now we live. Now we get to be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now is when we can stand for our faith, to stand for what's right, to stand for our family, to fight for everything that's coming up against us because now we live with the 